when we think about these organizations and kind of the folks who have been there for years, it's, it's this fear of what change and what transformation brings. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. As many of our listeners know, we have been having a series of conversations on several different themes this year. Two of our themes will be coming together in today's episode, transformation and race in tech. Today's guest is Dwayne Carter. After working as a director for a large consulting firm that offered a wide range of services, Dwayne founded Blue Strategies to focus on supporting public agencies by helping them to collaborate and leverage processes, data, and technology. Welcome to the show, Dwayne. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation today and, and really digging into some of this. But before we dive in, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit more of your background? Sure, sure. So uh, I'm originally from Fairfield, California, uh, born and raised, and I'm actually in Atlanta, Georgia now. Um, I did my undergraduate work at UC Davis, where I focused on communication and organizational development. And I would say that's really where I started my career. So I didn't have a college fund or anything like that when I went to school. So I worked two jobs while there. Mm -hmm. um, I did, I managed a bowling alley on campus and I also did uh, property management. So I managed uh, different apartment complexes. Um, and then once I graduated, I moved into marketing and worked my way up to a director of marketing at a university. And although I really enjoyed uh, the marketing aspect of it, a part of what I realized is that uh, the part that I really enjoyed was the data pieces of it and, and how technology and all of that kind of intersected. Um, so I decided to go back and get my MBA. And so I did that um, and I focused on data and technology. And I was lucky enough to be um, recruited out of that program and started working for a consulting firm. Um, and that consulting firm focused on public consulting and so only working with public agencies. And I think for me, that's when a light bulb really went off in my head. And I really enjoyed the aspect of, I mean, making money is definitely very good and helping people increase profits. Mm -hmm. But the idea of working with public agencies and, and for that public good really kind of stuck out to me. Um, so I did that and I've worked for lots of different public agencies, uh, unemployment, um, and uh, Medicaid and these healthcare exchanges that just popped up. Mm -hmm. And so for the last, I would say, eight or seven years or so, I've been focused on Medicaid and, and more health agencies um, and really helping them transform. So how do they become more efficient and operate more effectively? And so I started Blue Strategies maybe three or four years ago, focusing on that same thing. Okay. 
I imagine that you have a lot of great stories about your time in a bowling alley and property <laughs> management. We'll, we'll have to talk about those offline or on a different podcast or something <laughs> at, at some point. <laughs> but I, I love the mix in your background, Dwayne, the mix of marketing and technical architecture and consulting. That's not a mix that that at least I see every day. I've run into a few people who have that marketing background and then went more technical. So how has your marketing background helped you in the work that you do today? So I think for me, when I when I think about kind of what I was doing with marketing, it's really understanding an audience, right? Understanding a set of folks and trying to understand what they really want and what they need. And I think for me, when you think about things like transformation and, and all the things that enterprise architecture kind of encompasses, um, you really have to understand kind of how that other folks, the folks you're working with, kind of what they actually want and need if you're really going to be able to make any change happen. Um, and so I think the ability to really target in on what folks want um, and then crafting messages on how that is supposed to happen is really the thing that I take from the marketing aspect. I mean, of course, like, you know, there's that technical piece of um, how you develop your architectures and modeling and all of that. But if you can't actually put that into practice and you can't enforce any real change or, or modifications, then, you know, it's, it's not as effective. So I think for me, it's, it's that part of marketing that really helps make things actually happen and not just, you know, sit on paper. It's the ability to take some very complex topics like technical architecture and communicate it to a wide variety of listeners so that they understand and then gain buy-in. It's uh, do you find yourself using the concepts of personas like you uh, like you hear about in product marketing to think about who your who your audience is? I do. I do. And, and I think that's where a lot of people kind of get into trouble sometimes is not structuring their um, message to the audience that they're presenting to. And, you know, you can sit up. I've, I've been in sessions where, you know, trying to present to executives and you have other enterprise architects in there putting up models and talking about architecture, this and uh, SOA and services design and all of that kind of stuff and you just see their eyes glaze over yeah and, yeah and then nothing really happens so, <laughs> i i think that is a very big piece of of being able to kind of structure your message and and not just message i i think it's also what you're actually delivering because sometimes we get so stuck in these frameworks and ways of thinking that it's not really solving a need for um, folks that you're working with and so really thinking about what that need is and not just crafting your message, but crafting how you actually kind of develop your architecture is also something to me that I yeah, take from that. Yeah. I know your focus, even before launching Blue Strategies, is on transforming healthcare and, and more specifically Medicaid and related government agencies. It's not an area that I think a lot of us, our, our listeners, think of when they think of transformation, right? So what does transformation look like in those arenas? So I think if you think about a lot of what's happening and a lot of the 
public agencies we have, particularly when we think about things like Medicaid, there's lots of manual processes that are happening. Um, there's lots of um, kind of older technology that's happening in those areas. And maybe there's not a lot of folks who have been necessarily on Medicaid and have that experience. But even if you think about other public um, agencies that you've worked with, like um, the DMV or other places, you know, there's there's this uh, perception, but also the reality of, of things taking longer and not understanding why they're doing certain processes and uh, filling out manual forms. And so to me, it's the transformation of those manual processes into new ways and automated um, systems to do those things so that there's less focus on some of those tedious things that have to happen and more focus on kind of the the public good and, and seeing out that mission. And I imagine what we were just talking about earlier about your marketing background and your ability to communicate is especially important because, again, the perception from the outside looking in is a lot of inertia uh, that you have to overcome to move the agenda forward and help transform. So is that the case where those two things come together pretty well in this space? Yes, I think I think in this space in particular, like you mentioned, um, mm-hmm. they really intersect because there's lots of kind of thinking about what things are supposed to be and how things are supposed to work from a public agency perspective and not wanting to move away from that because that's not the way that we do things here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, We've always done it that way, right? Exactly. <laughs> so why would we do that? What do you mean we wanted to do something different? That works. That's right. That's about? right. Yeah, I think I think everybody uh, uh, listening just got a chuckle out of that because they've we've all heard that. We've always done it that way. Exactly. So, as you approach your clients what would you say is the biggest hurdle that you have to overcome? I think it's that idea. I think when we think about these organizations and kind of the folks who have been there for years, it's it's this fear of what change and what transformation yeah. brings. Um, and so, and then that's compounded by a lot of these places because the processes and the systems are so um, manual that a lot of the historic stuff about the way processes work or what a business rule is, is in someone's head. And right. so if you're in, and in order to do your transformation, understanding kind of what that current environment looks like is important. And so if someone is afraid that they're going to lose their job because what you're doing is coming in to, to you know, take away their job and automate, they're not so willing to give you that information. Mm-hmm. And so finding ways to try to extract that information from folks who don't want to give it up because that's kind of their, their golden ticket, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as it's in my head, you're not going to get rid of me, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Job security. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So what are some of the techniques that you use to break through that, so to speak? Uh, so I think that the biggest things are really just understanding um, kind of what they need and then thinking about not not always always when we, when I think about automation and talk about that with them it's not necessarily um, just oh we need to to automate this process or we need to change this it's more so coming from and of what else is there that you could be doing so I try to always have an alternative to what else 
could be done and not just what is. Um, yeah. And I think that kind of helps them think differently about that. And so that's one of the things that I think about. So it's painting the picture of what the future looks like so that they can see themselves in that going forward. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because if you're just coming in and it seems like you're trying to take away, uh, you have to be filling that space with something and something that means something to them and something that they can actually see themselves doing. I mean, the reality is in a, in a lot of these um, public spaces and in these agencies, um, the folks who are working there don't necessarily have years and years of education behind them. Right. And so, you know, you, you can be saying, oh, well, why don't you just go code um, over here? Because we need coders. And they're like, wait a minute, that's not, <laughs> that's not yeah, what I yeah, do. Yeah. I don't know that. And, and so really giving them realistic um, alternatives of how they can support the agency in a different way. Yeah. Because they may lack those transferable job skills. And I think that really gets to the crux of, of so many times when we're trying to advance transformation. I think it's that fear of change. And, and probably more acute is that fear of job loss. I think that's a common reaction that uh, we all face as we're trying to transform our businesses and move technology forward, no matter what the industry. But why do you think it's different in the clients that you serve? So I think what, what I think really it goes to kind of what I was mentioning before about um, because the educational levels sometimes aren't as, you know, super high as they are in some of the private sector world, um, it's that fear of losing their job. And I, and I think especially when you think about the black and brown communities who a lot of them are really focused in and, and really in these state public agency positions, um, it's really a threat in, in a lot of their minds because the opportunities are so slim. I know coming from um, where I'm from, which is a, a low income area and a single mom, one of the things that I remember hearing a lot around the neighborhood and just with different people is just the idea of, oh, you got a state job, you you made it, you're in there. Yeah, um, yeah. There's this certain sense of security and safety in that. Um, and so this whole idea of, of transformation and changing the way that we're doing things is scary because it's, it's a threat to your ability to um, work in that environment and, and get that safety. Um, and if you don't have any aspects of, you know, I'm going to be able to get all this education so that I can change and transform to this new thing. It's, it's scary. Right. And, yeah. and especially when they, the opportunities are, are not there for those certain communities. So I think that's what makes this uh, transformation so hard in this space is because you have that hanging over you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Constantly. And, and right. Dwayne, I think that's a great point. And I think it's heightened because these are the same communities that have been hit so hard by the pandemic and the resulting job loss. You, you've talked about your approach to gaining buy-in, quelling that fear. Um, what have you done differently in 2020 where maybe the fear and the resistance is at an all-time high? What things have you tried to do there? So I think I, I haven't necessarily tried to um, 
steer too far away from this idea of really figuring out what the need is. And right now, that job security is really one of the most important things that that folks have. I guess the, the biggest thing that I can say that I've been trying to do is really helping different folks uh, think about the way that they do their job mm-hmm. differently. And so not necessarily um, really being big on all of the transformation stuff and tell me all the different rules you have, but really trying to help them start to at least think differently about the things that they are doing and think more analytically about what are other opportunities or how can you even, how can you make um, these folks' lives even better by switching the way that you're doing things and and increasing your value? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great point. And if you're able to guide people in in that thought process, then perhaps uh, many of the changes become their own ideas, right? Because you've got the, you've changed the way that they're thinking about them. I think that's a good approach. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, I could just tell you like part of what I hear all the time, anytime you hear about either a cut, because lots of, especially in um, the statewide, you know, budgets are being strained. And so mm-hmm. you hear a lot of talk about cutting the budget and, and what does that mean? And so there's this looming thing constantly over everyone. And so any little thing right now I've seen, um, folks are very sensitive about it. So I think it's really repositioning that thought process so that, like you said, they think that it's, um, they feel that it's them who's leading this effort of, around change and they're the ones who are driving it. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a question for you, Dwayne. And I wonder about your thoughts on this. Do you think as a black man, your words of guidance and wisdom through these transformations carry more weight because you're part of the community of most of the people who you're trying to guide through the transformation? So I I don't know if it's, I would say that it's more weight, but I think it's definitely, um, more understanding. I think that because I, and not necessarily just the Black thing, but because of my background and where I come from, that Mm -hmm. I can speak the same language. I can, um, I have that level of understanding of kind of the the struggles and things that are happening and things that uh, kind of structure the way that their backgrounds are and the way that they think about things. So the way that I communicate with them is uh, differently. And it's funny because I think, uh, like I think about, I've worked all across the country and it's um, funny the way that you position transformation and, and talk to folks from one place to another. So like when I'm in on the West Coast side of things, it's really focusing transformation on the benefit and impact to folks' lives and how they're going to, uh, um, how it's going to make health delivery better. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I go more to the Southern side, uh, the talk is more on transformation or how we can cut costs and be more efficient. And so it's funny, there's a, a different way that you yeah, have to talk yeah. to different folks about transformation. But I think particularly when we're dealing with black and brown and kind of the, the, the staff, I can talk to them in a way that they understand just because of yeah. my yeah. my background more so than 
Well, you've got the commonality. You, you've been there, right? Mm-hmm. You experienced, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you experienced being raised by a single mom in a not so affluent area. And so I think some of that is you have that shared experience that perhaps when you say, I know what you feel, they know you know what they feel. Exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think that helps uh, quite a bit. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we've wanted to do this series on Status Go about race in tech so that we can uh, not only amplify the voices of our black and brown colleagues that are in tech, but also to spread a little bit more of that understanding of those experiences and you know somebody who who grew up in the richest part of town and is white is never going to know exactly what it's like but if we can teach and educate uh, i think that starts to bridge that gap and we'll start to see a difference and i i know when you and i spoke a few days ago you talked about a new way of thinking and a new approach to education would you mind sharing those thoughts with our audience? Sure, sure. When I think about education and the way that it's kind of set up today um, and the focus of that education, it's really focused on how do we, how do you um, get into the job market and, and make money and, and kind of the, the main driver of a lot of that stuff is how you maximize profit for different folks. So I think about when they teach economics and things like that. And and so part of what I think could help is to change the way that we think about these things and to really think about public service and the way that we support kind of the public as also a very um, important factor and think about not just maximizing profit, but how do you maximize for Uh, the public good, right? How do you maximize the benefit that you provide to public services for folks? Mm -hmm. And so I think changing the the mindset and changing the way that we talk about things and and the things that we focus on to not just be exercises around maximizing profit, but also maximizing, um, you know, public service, as well as just educating more folks about what public service is all about and that the importance of what it brings to the country and a lot of things go kind of under the radar and you don't understand especially when we start talking now everyone's this big focus on kind of these essential workers right um and so really taking stock into what public service has to to offer and how you educate people to be in those positions and be prideful of of being in those positions, I think is important. Yeah, I love that approach because I think a a lot of times we don't understand the whole concept of the public services and what they, the value that they bring to a community, the value that they bring to us as individuals. and, And therefore, sometimes we disregard, I mean, you know that there's jokes all over the place about the DMV or in exactly. Indiana, we call it the BMV, right? <laughs> because yeah, there's there's some room for improvement in those organizations, but think about where we'd be without them, right? right? Without that service, and if we can if we can teach 
some of that value side of the things. Then I think it does a couple of things is uh, it starts to change the way the public feels about those public services, but it starts to change the way the employees that are in public service feel about what they're doing, right? Because they know that people are seeing the services is at a higher value. Exactly. And and that's why it's like, to me, that is a, an area, and I, and I know primarily I've been focused for the last uh, few years on healthcare, but I think in all public agencies, there's all this opportunity to transform the way that we do things to make it better. And I think that's like a... Um, you know, a huge area of opportunity for folks when they think about where to be placing focus, but there's so much room for improving those areas and not just cutting jobs, but making it better. And then even if you think about it from the fact that this is where our tax dollars are going, right? And so yeah. it's in the public interest, even if from a public service perspective, you don't care about um necessarily, you know, making public services better, you should care about how your tax dollars are being spent and making sure that they're being spent in the most efficient and effective way. And so I just feel like if there's there's on all sides of the political spectrum and there's opportunities here, um, and I think it's wide open and there's not a lot of people kind of in that space. And so mm-hmm. it's exciting to me um, the, the possibilities out there. So I've got a question that kind of occurred to me as we were talking that I want to ask. We had a guest uh, that we interviewed on Status Go, and given the nature of podcasts, I don't know if that episode will have aired by the time this one does, but one of the topics that we talked about was the feeling that Black engineers, so Black developers, coders, uh, sometimes feel is guilt because they are making much more money than many in their communities. And so they they feel guilt when they go back to their communities where they came from. Have you experienced that yourself or have you seen that in others? Because to me, it was like this light bulb moment that I hadn't even considered before. Yeah, no, I I definitely have felt that. And I I do um, see that, this idea that, you are the one who made it out. And there's so many other people who haven't had that same opportunity. Um, And so, you know, you you feel this, you know, I think they survivor's remorse. I've heard folks, um, you know, being able, the one that made it out. And for me, how I personally try to deal with that is I am constantly trying to give back one. Right. I focus my work in the public sector so that I can make, um, in my mind at least, their lives um, better in terms of the resources that are available and things like that. But also, anytime anyone is interested in any kind of starting a business, anyone has a business, I've had friends connect me with people who I've never even met or heard of from across the country who are um, interested in, in starting a business. And I talk to them and, and give them advice and give them my number and am always a place to reach out and always trying to connect people to opportunities. So that's one of the ways that I personally try to deal with those feelings yeah. is making it my mission to always help others and help other people in the community kind of get to the same place that I am. 
Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you answering that question and, and the candor of answering a, a personal question like that. To me, it was one of the, uh, when I look back on our episodes of Status Go, it was one of the more enlightening moments for me personally, and my guess is also for our audience. So so thank you for, for sharing your perspective on that, Dwayne. I do appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. No problem at all. So as you know, we are all about action uh, here on Status Go. We don't want to be just an entertainment podcast. We want people to take action. So Dwayne, what are one or two things that our listeners, those professionals that are in tech leadership roles, both in the corporate IT realm and the tech sector itself, what should they do tomorrow because they listen to you today? Okay. Um, I, I think rethinking the way that you look at uh, public service and what that means and the opportunities that are there, um, not just thinking that you know everything is about maximizing profits and corporations that need to make more and more money, but mm -hmm. also how can you uh, look at public services in the same way that you look at those opportunities in terms of being able to make them more efficient and transform them to be um, better and better serve the population. So I think that's one of the main things that I would hope that yeah. folks do is, is rethink the way that they look at public service and the opportunities that are there and bring that same level of um, kind of thinking and ingenuity to the public sector that you do to the private sector. That is excellent advice for those who may be working in the public sector or thinking about working, uh, thinking about careers in the public sector, and for those that get the services from the public sector. I think that that is valuable advice, Dwayne. So thank you. Thank you. And I really want to thank you for taking the time today to talk with us and share your thoughts. Uh, I know you're incredibly busy with Blue Strategies, and I appreciate the time commitment that it takes to, to stop and do these things. So thank you very much for being on our program today, Dwayne. No problem. Thank you for inviting me. I, it's been a great talk, and I've really enjoyed it. To our listeners out there, if you have a question or want to learn more, Go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information, ways that you could get in touch with Dwayne and perhaps continue the conversation. This is Jeff Tun for Dwayne Carter. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.